Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Here's what's coming up on this edition. He is the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. And even though he has stepped aside as senior pastor, he's very involved in training church leaders. He is Timothy Keller, and you'll hear comments relative to a new book he has co-written about the book of Proverbs. Then one of America's leading Christian storytellers, Karen Kingsbury, who has recently added to her expansive assortment of novels featuring the Baxter family. The latest deals with religious liberty, and you can find out more ahead. Then from the Discovery Channel reality series, American Chopper, it's Paul Tuttle Jr. describing God's work in his life, even though he came from some difficult family dynamics, which actually played out in the series. And on this edition of The Intersection, material from a recent conversation with Eric Hovind of Creation Today, who is involved in the production of a limited theatrical release called Genesis Paradise Lost, exploring and dramatizing through animation some aspects of the biblical creation story. Finally, another installment in a series on the concept of health care sharing, which is relevant in light of the open enrollment period for the Affordable Care Act now in progress. You'll be hearing from Anthony Hopp of Samaritan Ministries with a program based on the concept of Christians sharing one another's financial responsibilities. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Timothy Keller is the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City and is very involved in the ministry, even though he stepped down as senior pastor earlier this year. He and his wife Kathy have co-written a book entitled God's Wisdom for Navigating Life, A Year of Daily Devotions in the Book of Proverbs. It is a devotional book that is structured around themes included in Proverbs. Here now is Timothy Keller. We actually pulled together all what the Proverbs says about various subjects. So everything it says about child-rearing, everything it says about marriage. We'll bring it all together and give you a week or two so you can see the big picture and then move on to the next topic. And that's actually, it took a lot of work, but I actually think it's the best way to read Proverbs and not something that you can access just going through a chapter-by-chapter like we usually do. Mm. And, And we recognize in a Bible reading plan you will see, for instance, where you'll read a book of the Old Testament, book of the New Testament, a psalm, a proverb, and if we're not careful, we're we're consuming information, and in a sense, we're we're checking the box with respect to Proverbs, yeah. and there's such deep wisdom. Yeah. I mean, you, you take every verse, and there's something that's there right. that we can apply to our daily lives, as you were just saying. So as we, for instance, take a, a verse about a topic in pro- Proverbs, what would be some of your suggestions with respect to really extracting more meaning out of these individual verses? Well, uh, somebody has said that Proverbs are like hard candy. Uh, and if you think what that means, <laughs> you you cannot bite down. I mean, let's just say, put it like this. It means you can't bite down on a, on a piece of hard candy. You'll actually break a tooth. So you, you actually have to let it stay in your mouth, and you have to... Uh, suck on it until it, it goes slowly, you get the sweetness out of it, and then finally it goes down and you actually get to the center. You know, it might have a center of, say, chocolate or something like that. Proverbs are like that. You actually have to think and think and think and think about the proverb. You have to look at the relationship between the clauses, what the words mean, and it gives up its 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 uh, meaning to you only if you have that time, that you give it that time. And that's what a proverb is. It's a kind of packed piece of Lots and lots and lots and lots of wisdom in just these little short sayings. And, you know, Americans actually don't have that habit 
of meditation and solitude. And so this devotional is a way of trying to slow you down and, and teach you how to do that. Well, we commonly think of the book of Proverbs as a book of wisdom. How would you define wisdom from a biblical sense? Well, wisdom is competence with, with regard to the realities of life. It's being competent with the realities of life. So, example, in uh, chapter 10, it says, if you work hard, you will uh, prosper. But then in chapter 13, there's a verse that actually says, the field of the poor is filled with grain, but injustice sweeps it away. Now, at first sight, it looks like that's a contradiction. Because it, it looks like in chapter 10, it says, if you work hard and you plant your seed, you know, and you, you have a crop, you'll... So you work hard, you'll be prosperous. And chapter 13 says you could work hard and, and actually not be prosperous. Something Someone could come along and take it away. Now, if you put the two together, though, these are not standalone promises. They are observations about how life works. And if you put them together, here's, what you, here's where you are. If you think that life is just a game of chance, that it doesn't really matter how you, what you do, that if you're going to be prosperous, you're going to be prosperous. If you're going to be poor, you're going to be poor. And it really just a, doesn't matter what you do. It's just a game of chance. You're not wise. On the other hand, if you think that if I work hard, I will always be prosperous. If I do everything right, everything will turn out right. If you think that, you're not wise. In both cases, you would be going out into the world and you'd be not competent. You would not be prepared for life as it is. If you're too optimistic or too pessimistic, you're actually not ready for life. And what Proverbs is doing is it's preparing you for that. And the, the uh, uh, here's two definitions of wisdom. One is just competence with regard to the realities of life. Or here's the other thing. Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do in the 80%, 90% of life situations to which the moral rules don't directly apply. And what I mean by that is, obviously, the Bible says don't commit adultery. So there's no you don't have to worry about... Uh, asking the question, should I commit adultery or not? The answer is no. But the Bible doesn't tell you who to marry. It doesn't tell you whether you should go to school or stop going to school. It doesn't tell you whether you should take another degree. It doesn't tell you what job to take. And and uh, the Bible allows you multiple options. Wisdom is not less than being moral, of course. Uh, you should be moral. But it's more. It's helping you make the right decisions where the moral rules don't directly apply. And that's what Proverbs is there to uh, equip you to be. Timothy Keller here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website, timothykeller.com. Well, The Intersection continues now with Karen Kingsbury. In our recent conversation, she discussed her latest novel, which includes a main character who is a member of the Baxter family and another main character who is a high school principal being challenged on a religious freedom issue. The book is entitled In This Moment, here now is Karen Kingsbury. Well, I was on a flight from the Midwest back to the West Coast where I lived at the time, and I just I felt this strong desire to write about a family. I am the oldest of five kids in my family uh, growing up and then raising our kids. We have six children, and just there's something so beautiful and powerful about a family. There's always someone to celebrate and someone to be praying for and rescuing and, and helping out. So it's kind of the whole gamut, and uh, on this one flight, I got all the characters, John and Elizabeth uh, Baxter, and also their, you know, their um, children, their adult children, and just all of it came to me all in a rush, all the titles of the books. It was amazing. Wow. So how many Baxter family books are there now? 
Well, there are 22 books now, and uh, that's the series that involves the Baxter family. Now, I'm writing, what I'm writing right now is kind of a collection of books, and these books have the Baxters in them so that we have a chance to be able to, uh, you know, see the Baxters at work and see them um, kind of how they're living, but they're doing well. I don't have a conflict with the Baxters right now. So in, um, in this book, my new one, In This Moment, it's about a high school principal who uh, steps in and, and makes a difference at the school. He's at an inner city school, and the kids are failing in every possible way. And he decides to start an after-school voluntary Bible study program. And a year later, everyone's doing a lot better, and he's just so excited about the impact. And then one of the fathers of the students uh, files a lawsuit. It becomes uh, a national story. And which lawyer does he get? He calls Luke Baxter because Luke is a lawyer and uh, he specializes in this kind of case. So, it, you know, we definitely get a good window to how the Baxters are doing, but a person could start with in this moment without any problem and get a chance to kind of get to know this family and, and not uh, have to have had any information before. He's kind of told by his school board, the principal, that, you know, cease and desist, like quit this, like you're, you can't do it. Like this is, we're not, we're not doing this. We're not, we're just going to, we're going to lose this lawsuit on day one. And Wendell says, no, I mean, I'm a person and I'm a man. And I was, I was instructed when I was hired. This is what he keeps going back to. The job description says that you will do everything in your power for the betterment of the students. Well, he hasn't done everything in his power because he's never introduced them to a faith in Christ until now. And so now that he's making it an opportunity, it's an option for students. Yes, everything has changed. And when uh, this lawsuit comes, he's not willing to step down. So he is risking everything. Um, and on top of that, you know, he's um, he had lost his wife in a car accident four years earlier, and now he's got a special friendship with one of the teachers, a woman who, um, you know, there he believes he's going to be, you know, he'll be he'll be dating. I mean, he's courting her. It's kind of the beginning of that time, but she has an anxiety disorder, which is so prevalent today that in the, you know, in the rush of all the bad news that comes our way and all the conflict and and just the strife that's going on that people get anxiety disorders they feel literally panic attacks when they step into this world of any kind of conflict and that's the case with his with the woman that he's falling in love with and so she backs away completely because she doesn't want to be around someone who's uh, doing something so dangerous as to talk about god Mm. well let's talk about luke baxter where does he fit in to the baxter family tree so Luke is the youngest. He's the um, he, you know he's the only boy in the initial books that I wrote about the Baxters, and then you know, we found out that Elizabeth and John had had a, a son that they had taken away from them, uh, placed up for adoption by her uh, parents, who did not want them to have a child. They weren't married yet. So there are two boys in the Baxter family, but Luke is the youngest. And um, when we first meet the Baxters back with the book Redemption. Luke is just 18, 19 years old, and we've watched him grow up, and we've watched him get married and have a family. And now the biggest you know, struggle for Luke is that when he gets passionate about a project like representing Wendell Quinn with my new book in this moment, um, Luke can start to become a person who stays at work through till 10, 11 o'clock at night. And his family and his wife, his kids are paying the price. So that becomes sort of a subplot that, you know, how do we stay passionate to the things God's called us to do without sacrificing the calling that we have to be true to our families? Karen Kingsbury here on The Intersection. Learn more through her website, KarenKingsbury.com. The Intersection podcast continues now with Paul Tuttle, Jr., 
featured on the Discovery Channel television series American Chopper. He discussed with me some aspects of his faith journey as a Christian in light of the release of his book, The Build, My Life of Choppers, Family, and Faith. Here now is motorcycle artist Paul Tuttle, Jr. The praying mother, you know, is... uh... It's a really good thing to have on your side, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, you know, once I got into my teen years, I started experimenting with some different drugs. By the time I was 16, I was in rehab. Uh, I don't know that I really belonged there, but, you know, when you have an alcoholic father, they automatically think that this is going to be bad, you know. And so I think it, it was, uh, in, in hindsight, it was a good experience. Um, I definitely had a dependence on on uh, on, on um at least marijuana from when I was a young age. And um, so, you know, I feel like that really kind of was, and by this time too, you got to remember, I have already become a Christian. And so, which happened around the age 12. So I was a Christian who was having issues uh, with dependency and, and a number of other things, just trying to figure out who I was, you know? And so, you know, that was, uh, so that was an interesting thing. And so for years that went on, and there was a period of time where I, you know, I, I stayed clean, and then I went back to it, and it was kind of a, a revolving door, so to speak. And um, I feel like it wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I really kind of started to get my stuff together. And uh, the book talks about a lot of that. Um, and again, I say together, you know, I don't think we ever really have it all together. Right, we just start right. relying on God and trying to figure it out on a daily basis, you know. What led to that that turning point or tipping point, if you would, in your life? Hey, you know, I don't know. Uh, I really just one day had the kind of an emotional or psycho. I don't know what happened. I had some sort of a breakdown, <clears throat> and that really resulted in a very scary situation that lasted for a really long period of time. And I can't tell you what it was. Um, I still functioned, but it was, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. What I experienced, it was anxiety and depression all at once. And I I couldn't even really tell you. And it really came out of nowhere. And I think it was just maybe from really medicating for so many years and not necessarily dealing with a lot of hard things in my life. And I think they just all came to a head and I all of a sudden couldn't handle it. And at that time I said, well, I better start taking a different direction. And I got really involved in church and I, you know, I started to, um, uh, I, I was an usher, and I got really involved in, uh, you know, men's ministry and just things of that nature uh, at, at, at the church. And so that kind of changed the direction for me. It was like almost my adult decision to start to maybe find out what it is that God has for me. On the particular program, did you find that there were opportunities that you had to actually share your faith on screen, or was it more a matter of people being wowed by the motorcycles and wanting to find out more about you and then them learning about your walk with Christ or maybe a combination of all of the above? Yeah, you know, I found that to be a pretty interesting situation. I am a, a, an artist who's a Christian, and I am not a Christian artist. And and I think that's kind of interesting. When I and when I say that, I say that to the world of Christians, and I think they might understand what I'm saying because, though my uh, I'm a Christian, and though all my creative and all I give all the glory to God for all my creative and everything I am and have and do, um, I'm not the outward guy. I'm not the guy who's praying on the show or trying to you know, uh, be too outward about it. 
um, I feel like God has given me kind of an Esther-ish situation, which I think has really just worked out, and you know, by design. And if asked, I'll tell you exactly who I am and what I am to the best of my ability. But you know, this—that's just been the way it's been, and um, I feel like that I try and first of all honor God, and then so my actions hopefully will will express that. So I think people have maybe been able to watch me and see the decisions I've made through the years, not not for them, but to do the right thing. And so maybe there's some question there about maybe the fact that I would be a Christian, but um, I, I just think talk is kind of cheap, and a lot of people say a lot, but they don't do a lot. So I've tried to stay the course on just living it and not worried about saying too much. Paul Tuttle Jr. here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website pauljrdesigns.com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. The website address is meetinghouseonline.info. There you'll find a link to the media center through which you could listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on The Intersection Podcast. You can also subscribe to the podcast through that website. You can subscribe via iTunes or whatever your podcast receiving software might be. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. You can get connected to video content. You can also learn more about the Intersection podcast through the Faith Radio app. You can find out more at faithradio.org. The Meeting House homepage can be accessed at meetinghouseonline.info. Eric Hovind is founder and president of Creation Today and executive producer of the 3D film Genesis Paradise Lost, which after a theatrical run will be released on DVD in the future. In our conversation, he discussed the concept of the film, its use of animation, and the presentation of scientific evidence that is consistent with the biblical account of creation. From that conversation, this is Eric Hovind. Well, it is an interesting story, so I, and I love sharing it because it's, it's a God story all the way through from beginning to end. It started when I met the director. His name is Ralph Stream, and I was down in Orlando preaching. A guy comes up to me after I'm done preaching, and he says, hey, I love your material. You've got to meet my friend. His name is Ralph. He does animation, and he's a Christian. And immediately my mind went, if he's a Christian and he does animation, then his work is going to stink really, really bad. I'm not interested. I don't even want to meet the guy. No, thank you, because I had seen lots of Christian animation. No offense to all the people that are involved in animation out there, but I went, come on, you just it can't be that good. But I met with him, and it was like the Holy Spirit said, you need to go this direction. And we did a little series called Creation Minute, little 60-second episodes. You can still watch them. They were done several years ago, but they're at creationminute.com little 60-second episodes where it's very visually rich. And when I got the first one back, I was blown away at the guy's skill and ability. God had prepared him for this. And then it was actually Ralph, based on the the success of Creation Minute, that said, you know what? We should actually produce Genesis, the creation of the world like this, so everybody could see it. And it, it, if you, am I allowed to use the word evolved on your Christian television show, even though we're especially, totally against the as, Especially, yes. View? In the correct context, that is an okay thing to do. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you, Bob, for your information to that. Because, man, it, it, this film really did. It kind of changed and morphed, and it evolved, if you will. 
into what it is today. It started off as a 30-minute thing. Then we had to we, we uh, uh, partnered with another producer in California, Resurrection Pictures. He said, hey, if we do this and this, let's make it a feature link. And then it was, hey, let's go to theaters. Then we did a fundraiser and in 2018, and God really blessed us. We raised um, uh, all the, the first-level funds, $150,000 in just 16 days to help complete the film. Ended up meeting almost our second goal of $300,000, and we got $274,000 to produce this movie. Spent the next several years producing it, uh, and boy, what a labor that was. So five years full-time producing Genesis, this one film for people to experience. And our prayer right now, Bob, is God allow this experience to ripple into eternity, change people's hearts because they've experienced the creation. That's our prayer. Mm. So it's been quite the journey. If you look at the evidence, and we, as Bible-believing Christians, we believe that God's Word is true. So we believe that account we find there is true. So what what would you say would be the strongest evidence from your standpoint proving that the Genesis creation account is true? Wow. Uh, great question, Bob. Uh, you know, when I think of it, I think the Bible has to go to the Bible because that's the ultimate authority. The Bible answers that for us in Romans chapter 1. The creation itself, I mean, he that has eyes to see, let him see. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. I'm sure most of your listening audience would go, yeah, just look around at creation. Look around at this world. Romans 1 tells us the creation of the world is clearly seen. The invisible things of God even are clearly seen. Nobody has an excuse. So the fact that we have a creation and uh, the Word of God, which described it. I mean, we, we have a Hebrew professor in the film, Dr. Jeremy Lyon, and he goes into and shows how the, the, the history and, and the, the writing style, the literature style there in Genesis is historic. It's not poetic. It's not like an allegory. It's saying this is really what happened, and then you get to watch it happen. So we're, we're, we're thrilled with the fact that people are going to get educated with the science. And, and in the movie, by the way, you're going you're gonna to leave with your head going, wow, I had no idea <laughs> there was so much science confirming what Scripture has already told us. Because we just boom, boom, boom. If you've ever had questions on cavemen, Lucy, Neanderthal, carbon dating, uh, dinosaurs, the worldwide flood, starlight, how do we see starlight? We hit all these topics in this film and really answer a lot of questions and show every piece of science confirms what God's Word originally told us, every single one. Eric Hovind here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website creationtoday.org. The film website is genesismovie.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's Anthony Hopp. Vice President for External Relations for Samaritan Ministries. It's a healthcare sharing ministry. In our conversation, he explained the dynamics of healthcare insurance in the nation and how healthcare sharing offers an alternative for Christian families. This is Anthony Hopp now. Open enrollment is upon us, and as you mentioned, for the next few weeks, Americans will be making some tough decisions from November 1st to December 15th, and it's kind of ironic that this happens around Christmas time when we're supposed to be experiencing joy and open enrollment is typically anything but that. It's not uncommon to hear people talking about their premiums that exceed now their mortgage payments and in a lot of cases just to afford insurance. People are having to take plans with higher deductibles and increasingly followers of Jesus are realizing that their health care dollars are most likely supporting unbiblical practices, things that clearly violate our faith. 
like abortion and gender reassignment surgery. And then there's access to care issues of can I see the provider that I want and can I get the treatment that I want? So all of these are questions that we all wrestle with. Thankfully, there are some bright spots in this mess, and one of the bright spots is healthcare sharing. And healthcare sharing is a biblical non-insurance approach to healthcare where people of faith, followers of Jesus, are coming together every month to share one another's medical bills directly, person to person, household to household, without using any insurance at all. You can almost think of it as crowdfunding for healthcare. And currently, there are about 70,000 Samaritan households or families, and that translates to about 230,000 individuals, and altogether, they're sharing over $25 million every single month. Sharing allows us to follow the exhortations all throughout the New Testament of bearing each other's burdens and thus fulfilling the law of Christ. Philippians 2 talks about considering others' interests in addition to our own. And uh, in in Romans 12, actually, in Paul's uh, short exhortations about love being in action, he uh, tells us there to uh, be faithful in prayer and be devoted to one another in love and share with the Lord's people who are in need and rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And healthcare sharing gives us that opportunity to exercise our faith in a practical way and not only to fulfill the biblical mandate to take care of each other, but to take care of our family in a practical way at um, a monthly amount that's affordable in a way that allows members to engage in their own health care. Um, Samaritan members are in the driver's seat, and they're making the decisions uh, for their own health care. There's not a third party uh, telling them uh, what to do, and that should never be the case because those decisions are up to the family. So health care sharing is kind of that intersection where we're able to uh, fulfill the command of the Lord to love our neighbor, and then we're also able to take care of uh, our families in a way that's cost-effective. I wanted you to address, I know someone that I've had on the program before, your executive vice president, James Lansbury, has written a, a piece about seven health care questions with regard to open enrollment. What are some of the things that people could be asking themselves with respect to their health insurance? One of them is the question of if you want to be part of the government system. And, you know, private insurance companies offer plans through the exchanges, but there's always plenty of government involvement still. And as we all know, the Affordable Care Act requires that policies offer specific types of coverage. And that's what drives up costs, frankly. And so that means that as a consumer, you're at the mercy of government and corporations. Samaritan members never share in um, uh, things that are um, that are unbiblical and contrary to our faith, and that that's kind of related to another question, which is what what are my premiums actually paying for? And when when I have a, a health insurance policy, I'm not able to choose that. I don't have any say. And so when we voluntarily pay into those plans that fund those um, abhorrent practices, that presents an ethical and moral challenge as a follower of Jesus. Uh, another question that we ask, of course, is the um, access issue. You know, am I limited to a network? Can I see the doctor that I, I want to? Uh, an interesting demonstration or, I guess, picture of this is that I have a friend who's a Samaritan member, and he went for his yearly checkup, and he told the doctor he had some questions. He got out his list of about five items he wanted to address, and the doctor put up his hands and said, whoa, we can't talk about this today because 
this is a, a physical or a checkup. So if you want to discuss these issues, you're going to have to make another appointment and we can discuss it at that point. My friend said, well, remember, Doc, I'm, uh, I'm a self-pay patient. I'm part of Samaritan Ministries and the doctor's face lights up. And he said, <laughs> oh, you're right. We can talk about anything you want to. And that's absurd, of course, but that's where we're at, where you have to wonder who's the consumer here and who's the customer. Anthony Hopp here on The Intersection. Find out more at SamaritanMinistries.org. Well, thanks for joining me for this edition of The Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, that website address is MeetingHouseOnline.info. Through that homepage, you will find a link to the download center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on the podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Video content is accessible also. Plus, you can learn more about getting connected to The Intersection Podcast through the all-new Faith Radio app, You can learn more through the website, faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.